I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Sans Pants Radio, Australia's most well-read podcast network. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. I'm George Dimrellis. This is a show we ask you, what's your story and what does it say about you? Today on the show, she is a citizen of the world, born in Egypt, raised in Kuwait. She's worked in the United Arab Emirates, uh, but since then has moved on to get a master's and a PhD in, is marketing is like broad enough? I yeah, I would say marketing, uh, consumer behavior, um, that sort of uh, line of research, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in Auckland, where you were, but now you've yep. moved over to Melbourne, working in RMIT. Uh, Dr. Marion McCarr. <laughs> Dr. You said Marianne it right. McCarr. You said it right. It's all good. Okay, right. <laughs> How you doing? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, George. I've really stumbled. I think I got most of that in there. I didn't. I didn't. I, I do actually have a list here of everything that's involved because uh, some of it I find really interesting, but luxury consumption and stuff. Yeah. Uh, um, and yeah. So, but first, a bit about you. Yes. Yeah, so you've been. You're a citizen of the world. I, right? I do. I feel like that. I, I'm a chameleon and I feel like I can belong anywhere, anytime, any place. Mm-hmm. Um, probably it's because of where I was raised in Kuwait. You know, you, it's, a, it's such a melting pot. Like you don't have Kuwaitis. They're not the majority. The majority are actually all the expats. So that's kind of ha- my upbringing. Right. Yeah. And is that um, expats like... Of other states around there, or is it from... No, everywhere. From Ghana, from um, Azerbaijan, from Egypt, from Lebanon, from the UK, uh, states, everywhere. Okay. And, I, and, and it's probably because of the school I went to. It was a, a, an international school. And I know that a lot of people would, you know, recognize that because, like, in Singapore, in Qatar, in Bahrain... It's it's the same. We all sound the same. Yeah, no, it's yeah. We funny. look weirdly different. So. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny because you all have like an almost a kind of American accent. Yeah, but not quite. Yeah, I, I, a, I think I, I don't. When people say, "Are you from America or are you from Canada?" I'm like, "No, I'm international," <laughs> and that's an international accent. It is, yeah, so no, yeah, it. it's, it's got like its basis there, yes. but it's a bit different. Yeah, yeah. 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 All right. So, so when did did you move to Kuwait? I was born in Kuwait. Oh, you were born in Kuwait? So, yeah. Oh, you were born in Egypt, that's right. No, I'm, I'm, my parents are Egyptian, but I was born in Kuwait. Okay. My brothers as well. Um, we were raised in Kuwait um, until I graduated high school, and then I went to Egypt for my undergrad to an American university over there. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And was that like, did you always, uh, so 
they speak okay this is going to sound like very dumb I should it's know okay. this already, but like in terms of a uh, speaking language is it the similar language Kuwait and Egypt no it's so different. it's a Egyptians it's it's, it's a dialect yeah. Egyptian would be a dialect it's Arabic we yeah. all speak Arabic all speak, yeah. the beauty of it all is that as an Egyptian everyone watches Egyptian movies so it's yeah. so <laughs> everyone you know understands what we're saying it can be hard like to understand their dialect sometimes but If you, if you grew up there, you, you're very much uh, used to their accent and used to the, the dialect and, and words that they say and, you know, their narrative and things like that. So, right. Yeah, and I've got a friend yeah. of mine, he's Lebanese, but his mom's always watching the Egyptian soapies. There you <laughs> go. It's, it's just, it's how it is. Yeah. <laughs> Till this day, by the way. Yeah, it's yeah. still going now. That's, um, so, uh, so, so, uh, so your, your connection with Egypt was still pretty strong growing up, like even though you were in Kuwait? Yes and no, because simply my... So when I go back to Egypt during summer holidays, I would every year, okay. but I always looked and sounded different than the common Egyptian, mm -hmm. simply because I just didn't fit anywhere. That's another thing. Like I fit everywhere and nowhere. That's how you feel? A bit. I, I always feel, until this day, I always feel that way. It's like a liminal kind of space that I live in, and it's just me and my family and... That's it. I mean, is it like wouldn't that be pretty, especially from international? Because because you went to an international yeah. school, it'd be fairly common background for all of them, wouldn't it? Or yeah, really? yeah, absolutely. We, and that's the thing. We felt like we belonged. Like if I meet someone here in Australia who's grown up in the Middle East, like in the Gulf specifically, we always we feel a connection. Mm. There is like a imagined community um, that we we feel we're part of. You know. Um, but we're very, we're a minority. Um, there aren't many people like us. The majority would have either grown up in Egypt and, and come here or like grown up in their country, which is, you know, it's the normal. majority. Yeah, it's normal. <laughs> we're not normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, just to jump here though. So are you married to someone who's also from that background or just? So my husband was born in, in Egypt, but he was raised in Saudi Arabia and Nigeria. So we're both okay, quite, so yeah, we're similar in that sense that you know, he sounds like me as well. We, oh, we right. both, we look alike and we sound alike, but we're not related <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> You've had to deal with that before. No, no. <laughs> we just, we, yeah, we, we share a lot of Our backgrounds are the same. Yeah. yeah. Okay. At least in terms of, well, yeah, got the Egyptian background, but then obviously just the international experience. Yeah, there. exactly. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, did you, so, but yeah, to, to, to take a bit, so you, so you grew up in Kuwait, you studied in Egypt and then you worked in the UAE. Yeah. So when we, we got married and we moved to the UAE, to Dubai, worked there, I worked in public relations and marketing At, you know, working with luxury brands like Land Rover, Jaguar. And when I worked in marketing, I was marketing manager for Alfred Dunhill, which is a menswear, leather goods kind of um, brand, mm -hmm. British brand. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's... Right. So did you feel like, did you, I'm guessing you studied just broadly marketing rather than specifically luxury marketing or was it... Yeah. I studied mass communications, integrated marketing communications. So specifically, but I did study public relations and, you know... Uh, that sort of thing. And that's kind of what brought me into public relations first mm. in an agency. And that's when I realized it's a tough industry. I better go to a brand client. Uh, oh, in, really? In, Why? Yeah. Just tough as in for the, the You're culture? working 24-7. Um, yeah. You're on call all the time. 
Um, it's, 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 it's a demanding job. It's a fun job. Don't get me wrong. You work with amazing brands. Um, you get this beautiful portfolio of excellent brands and, and people you work with, and you're doing exciting things like events, you're writing press releases, all that cool stuff. Um, but it can get to you. Um, especially when you're working with like me, I was working with eight brands, uh, at one time and that can be very, um, demanding. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like, um, so public relations in, separately to marketing, cause I guess marketing is different. So public yeah. relations, I feel like you might get a bad rap because most of the time you're going to hear public relations is when people are like, we need to do public relations on this quickly. Yeah. It's always a crisis, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> crisis management. Yeah. But is that what it actually is or is it? No, actually I, majority of my work was always really, um, introducing products or sending out testers to journalists to get them to review it. Back then, in the early 2000s, it, we didn't have a lot of YouTubers and influencers that wasn't there at that time. It was more journalists and um, magazine editors and things like that. So much easier. It was a lot easier to manage. I feel you got for... you like 10 names. You could be like, all right, I know the Well, it was more this. than 10, okay, but I yes. <laughs> Now it's yeah. just completely insane. Like, it's it's just, insane. Yeah, it's yeah. insane right now. Yeah, because it's just everything segmented so exactly. much to the point where like nothing. The other so so to go back to the luxury brand thing. Yeah. I'm so interested in that because mm-hmm. like obviously that like so higher tier brands. Does that mean there's a different marketing strategy to like mid tier brands? I guess or whatever. Or is it yeah. kind of the same? Just oh, it's absolutely. Uh, look, you 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 do a lot of things differently. You're promotions plan is very different when you're working with say Cartier for example than if you're working with a skincare brand like Biasdorf Nivea mm. right you don't uh, with Nivea you would be doing a lot of you know tv promotions and and um above the line below the line campaigns um what does that mean again above the line would be things like you would see like outdoor ads and things like that below the line would be things like um, in-store stuff, you know? Okay, right, right. Um, but in general, it's more, um, yeah, with, with luxury brands, you'd be doing a lot of niche, uh, classy kind of promotions. It wouldn't be actual promotions like discounts. It would be more a, a large billboard versus a TV ad. You will never see Cartier having a TV ad per se. You would see the more large billboards uh, in-store work that they would do, like the window displays. They spend a lot on window displays, more working with the customer experience. And that would be, you spend a lot of time with the, you know, with the customers, creating events for them, um, your VIP customers as well. While Nivea, for example, you'd be doing a lot of press, but you'd be doing a lot of um advertising around it right yeah. okay it's and a that's, totally different uh, yeah because it's like the one you almost want to make it a bit more exclusive exactly like the vibe and yeah. it's like ugh TV how cheap <laughs> I mean <laughs> yeah in a way because with TV you can't control I mean you the media buyer who works for the brand could control you know which TV that which channel they focus on um, what's the best schedule what, what time of the day but in essence you can have an ad Let's say if it was Cartier, for example, I'm always bringing Cartier, although uh, it's the easy one. Everyone's like, oh, that's like, yeah, I know it. (laughs) You you can have Cartier and then right after it, a Coca-Cola brand. There's a lot of research around uh, the proximity of brands to each other. 
It's the same when you're in a store, for example, in a mall. You would never see Cartier right next to a lower tiered brand. You would see it next to all the luxury brands. Mm. It's the image. It's what it signals. It's that aura, you know, the vibe that you're trying to 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 say about your product. Um, actually, with that as well. So, with um, has there been a change in? Like, I always think of this. Obviously, uh, and this is actually a cultural analysis as well. Yeah. But with the rise in Asia of so much money there, obviously mm-hmm. that became like a focus for luxury brands as well. Yeah. And from my understanding, actually, it was a case where like that's where all their money was being made, basically. So, in comparatively, like they were just cleaning up in like places like China and stuff. Yeah. Did that like change the way they kind of operated, the way they branded things and all that? Like, was there Absolutely. and is there a pushback against it as well? Is it like we don't want to be getting bought too much no. by anyone or like no with advertising and all that? Obviously, um, and the products and and redesigning. Yeah, I mean, if you look today at Alfred Dunhill's menswear, and I keep I still keep track because I still love the brand, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's become a lot um, inconspicuous, a lot more inconspicuous. It's very suitable to the Asian consumer, but also to the inconspicuous men, male, masculine connoisseur. Right. Right. So it, it's not really steering away from their product or from the brand's image and the, uh, the positioning, but it really it tailors to that um, target audience. And look at the uh, models um, that are featured in ads and all these things. It's changed. And it has to. More international, yeah. yeah, Exactly. Yeah. I just find it interesting because, like, I don't know, there's a a friend of mine has mentioned it. Like, and it's just, there is a large section of tacky rich that exists Mm. now, maybe, where it's like huge brands. Like, they want people to know what they're wearing almost. So, yeah. Because you always, like, when I travel, I see it sometimes. I'm like, look at who would want a t shirt that says Yves Saint Laurent, like, just plastered across it. It's like, this isn't about looking good. This is about showing everyone that you're wearing that. Exactly. And I just wonder how much that impacts the brands as well, being like, these people want to everyone to know that it's this brand or whatever. Yeah. But there is a group of. Not nouveau riche. I would say the um, the rich Chinese or Korean or um, Taiwanese, whatever. That actually they prefer the inconspicuous mm. consumption, and they prefer inconspicuous brands that has lower signaling. In fact, because of because of my work with Dunhill, that's what led me to my to doing my master's research, which was on inconspicuous consumption. All right. Okay. Yeah. So it's about like looking. Okay, so let, actually, that's that's interesting. Okay, so yeah. inconspic- so basically, where people, it's subtle that you're spending Subtlety, that kind of yeah. money. So other people who, so I guess, the idea is that people who have a certain refined taste will appreciate what you've got. Yeah, but everyone else won't know. Is exactly. That kind of that's you're you're signaling. You are signaling something when you don't have a a logo or or very inconspicuous. Let's say a Bottega Veneta. If you know this bag and you're, you're very educated, you have the information, um, you're very classy, you come from a well-to-do family taste-wise as well, taste regime is, is, one, is in that sense, you can identify that Bottega Veneta. So you and I will become closer in that sense. Mm. You, you understand me, I understand you, and I want to be affiliated with someone like you. While someone else who is Novorish, meaning newly rich and is trying to to reach that you know top tiered customer that type of person um, that's aspirational to them. They think that by wearing a Louis Vuitton bag plastered with LV 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 or Yves Saint Laurent, for example, that that's their way of entering that new segment. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Like I guess that's the difference between like 
I just haven't thought about. It's like some people might just want to show off that they've got money, but once you have money, I guess a lot of them want to show off that they've got taste almost. Like that's, that's but that different. taste is really difficult to get. And it yeah, takes that's time. Yeah that's, yeah, that's like as in that's the next can, level. Anyone can throw money around essentially once you have it. But yeah. to have the taste that requires, it's like almost, I guess, a history of money. <laughs> like, yeah. You're not nouveau riche if you got like exactly. the, if you've grown up knowing what style is and stuff. Yeah. So. But it's not hard to, to get to that point. Like, I mean, it, it does take time. But if a person is committed, so say they came from a lower class background, climbed the ladder, they they can now afford the big car, the bit you know, the three Bs basically. Mm. Um the batch, the the boat, the car, the <laughs> house, the you know, it's that I didn't know um, that I've heard that before, but cool. Oh really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but if you can afford all that now is the time that you actually start learning. Now, if you're young, you can learn all these things from social influ- social media influencers, mm. right? They're teaching you the taste. Uh, wear this with that. Uh, don't do that. Don't go to that place. That's where the 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 top tiered people go. You know, the best cus- luxury customer. Mm. Um, and so you can learn. It's now more. Um, there are less barriers to to get to that point. Yeah. Now the internet yeah, allows yeah. that easy. Yeah. Now, and again, this probably goes back to the whole segmentation thing. Now it's almost like not just being classy. Now you got to find your own style within that, yeah. which is like good. Yeah. Kind of like it's- There's something else as well. I mean, secondhand shops, right? The op shops, all these things. They have people who want to get rid of their, their goods. They would put that there. You can't afford luxury. Now it's affordable because mm. now I can buy those inconspicuous. Sometimes I don't even know if it's a, a very luxury product. If you're, if you're not that knowledgeable, mm. you know, in brands. It's now very easy to get to those things. It's very easy to present yourself uh, in that way. Mm. Rental, you know, the sharing economy allows for that. And the circular economy allows for that. It's interesting. So like what's going to happen now to make, because obviously the goal of the people with money is to establish that they, is to subtly let everyone know that they have it. And the more subtle, but like the more distinct they have to be. So like, what do you do when everyone gets better and better at faking it, I guess is a way of saying it. How do you, how do you, how do you still show your status, I guess is the now it's harder, you yeah. know, it's, um, but again, there are two types of that, that, that luxury consumer. There is the one who doesn't give a shit, <laughs> you know, doesn't care. Um, but then there's the one that really, I want to separate myself, um, from that type of consumer. Mm. So it could be, let me become more sustainable. That's mm. the, that's the new trend, right? That's the new fad. <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going to drive a Tesla. I'm going to, um, wear recycled clothes. There is one, there's always something. There's always something. Yeah. Well, that's, right? that's what I mean. Right. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That's kind of what I was like, I was wondering whether that was something that happened maybe is in a response to obviously a lot of money that's been going in and maybe with Asia rising up a lot of the, maybe the people in other cultures are like, we want to look more subtle about it. So maybe we'll actually go back to more natural stuff and. Obviously, I mean, we can't correlate. We can't make yeah, that tight, connection. Yeah, yeah. But you know, because just think of like the rise of like the whole Byron Bay thing, like that, yeah. that whole concept of like getting back to nature. Like all those people are stupidly loaded now, and they're flashing in a completely different way. Kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if that's does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like oh yeah, I'm just in nature. Yes, I'm in a trust fund, and I've got hundreds of thousands yeah. dollars a year. But I'm but just I'm natural. Yeah, but I'm natural. Know? Yeah, I mean, I'm only wearing cloth that my friend yeah. knitted for me. It's like they've yeah. gone full back. 
yeah, to that natural, um, you know, early days state. What's going to be next? You know, if that fad goes away, who knows? You know, <laughs> yeah, who knows? That's Let's wear I mean. trash bags. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Hope it goes that way. One yeah. with trash. <laughs> Um, now we should get started on the book it's funny we've had a very different discussion to what the book you've chosen well it's not too far off luxury they are royals right okay so so your book of choice for today is Um, it's called Desert Royal by Jean Sasson Um, It's about royalty in Saudi Arabia and specifically female royalty, princesses, all these things and um, how their lives are really all about. We often think if you're a princess, you have a golden spoon always, you know, handed to you, the the car, the clothes. But actually these women um, live in a lot more impoverished lives than we think and they may be rich, but they're not free. Mm. And it's it goes with my interest on obviously women's lives, how women are brought up, how they're raised in a very patriarchal kind of society, right? Um, maybe it has you mean everywhere, or specifically in the, in, in in Saudi Arabia. Yes. But let's face it, in the Gulf, in in my own country, if if people follow the news, there's every day a, a woman's been raped, murdered sexually mm-hmm. harassed, that's quite um, a profound kind of experience if you've lived in, in this part of the world. I'm not saying don't go, <laughs> please don't, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but the reality is these, these issues, women, yeah. there are these issues and they still exist. They're probably hidden mm-hmm. and they are hidden, but these days, you know, women are like these royalty uh, whether in Dubai, you know, in the middle, in the United Arab Emirates yeah. or Kuwait, or um, women are being uh, are able to escape. Not all of them, uh, but when they escape, they're they have to live in um, in exile and they have to live in hiding. Actually, most of the time, and, and yeah, uh, it's the plight of women in the Middle East that really interests me. Right, and uh, and so this this story is fictional. But is it based on something that's actually- it's it's not fictional. Oh, it's not it, fictional. The names are changed. Some some changes have taken like they have changed some stories so that this princess isn't identified. She still lives in Saudi Arabia. Oh right. Yeah. Was, yeah, I thought it was like a combination of like based on all this stuff, but not actually. Okay. Yeah. It's, oh wow. It, so Jean Sasson published a series on this specific princess, right? Um, and her name is not real. Sultana is not her real name. There was another. That's why I saw a trilogy. I'm like, surely this is like yeah. it must be a combination of things. I don't know. It's about it's how she grew on... up in a family with her brothers, um, and then afterwards, how her, you know, how when she got married, how her daughters, their experiences, and so on. And there's another wow. book called Maya that's about an Iraqi. It's not just about the princess, hmm. but it's about generally women's lives and how they're treated or mistreated. Actually, best to say yeah. um, how they're mistreated in um, whether in their families with that patriarchal kind of idea of the male dominant and then everyone else. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. like, it's, it's so there's a lot to talk about with what you just yeah. said. Yeah, so I guess um, would it? So the, I don't know. This is how much of this is religious? How much of this is just socioeconomic? And I know that's an impossible thing to separate out, but like. I think a lot of people have a tendency to be like, oh, obviously it's Muslim, they're like this. That's why I want to be very careful. Careful, but also <laughs> yeah. like, 
I think people have a knee-jerk reaction to blaming it on one thing without appreciating the yeah. depth of what's going on there. So I guess, do you have any thoughts on that? I have thoughts. I don't think it's religious. It's more cultural. Um, it's not social. It, it, it is social, yeah. but it's actually um, cultural tradition. It's all traditions, mm-hmm. right? Um, and unfortunately, they haven't gone away. Like the whole world moved on and some units and some groups have stayed on. Let me give you an example. Um, circumcision, female circumcision and mm-hmm. mutilation. Mutilation. Yeah. Right? Um, it still exists. While United, uh, the United Nations, they're trying to push hard with human rights. Let's stop that. That's uh, inhumane. That's wrong. It still exists. And, and it's not, it doesn't just exist in um, the Middle East. It exists in African countries, right? Um, it's just a tradition a ritual that's been done for years, you know, from your ancestors and it just keeps going. It's hard to separate those two. Mm. Um, Some females have escaped these things, but that mutilation that's happening, it happens with children. They have no power. It's yeah. That's right. That, that, that's one of the worst things I think in the world that to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, Cause it's like so long-term, and it yeah. doesn't even happen with a dot like a proper doctor, which any real good doctor, medical doctor, would not accept to do no, this anymore. That's it, yeah. it happens in the home. It happens. Your mom or your grandma would would actually do that to the granddaughter. That's crazy. And babies, it happens with babies. Yeah, that's you know horrifying. Um, so I, I I say this is not religious as much as it's tradition culture. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to separate culture. Yeah, you know, um, you know, having moved to New Zealand, Australia, I still see people very attached to the traditions that they've grown up with. It's not the religion as as much as you think. It's mm. the way of doing things. It's basically feeling better that you're closer to home by doing these traditions. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's a uh, that's that's an interesting insight straight away. I think for a lot of people, yeah, <laughs> the, the fact that it's not, yeah. Look at uh, tradition is is a lot stronger, and culture is a lot stronger. Uh, I'm a big believer in that. That's why I study consumer culture. Um, but um, culture traditions is a lot stronger with people that have migrated, left home, um, you know, t- to them more than religion. Um, yeah. Like, and again, it's obviously very hard to separate mm. out those two. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Like even, even my parents being uh, Greek, um, they were both born there and they moved yeah. here. So like, and it's, it's a pretty normal thing. They end up being mm. like more Greek than Greeks yeah. back home. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, they true. like take it with them and then stay there yes. while everyone back home has gone and developed and moved on from there. So yep. it's almost like a weird thing. So I know what you mean. And then like, I guess just thinking that now, because of how quick the cultures changed, obviously, I mean, a hundred years ago, yeah, the UAE, like all the Gulf states, they probably had nothing compared to now in terms of the money. That's true. Yeah. So there's almost an element where they're almost like holding on to cultures as if they've gone to a new country, but they're in their own country. So they're like, I mean, if you've gone to Dubai today, it doesn't look like an Arab country at all, hmm. right? It's packed with expats. It has that westernized. Um, element. Ever, actually, I would say Qatar, Bahrain, um, Kuwait, they've all westernized themselves. 
Um, and so, yeah, those little strings of, I'm going to wear my abaya, I'm going to wear my, the traditional, um, customs of, you know, the clothing, the, uh, or I'm going to go to the mosque, you know, just to pray. It's more than just the religion. It's part of who they are. Mm. Um, and almost like because they've got so much other force coming in, they're holding onto it even tighter. Yes, that's right. I agree. That's a complicated thing to unpack. Yeah. <laughs> How do you unwind that? You, you, what I really think should be done is let's understand these different communities, especially if they're moving, uh, migrating. We, you know, all most countries are accepting migration, right? Uh, and we welcome it from people who are skilled migrants, all these things. Let's try and understand where they come from rather than immediately stereotype, ah, oh, you're Muslim, you're this way. You're Christian, you're this way. You're Jew Jew um, uh, Jewish, you're that way, you mm -hmm. know? It, it, let's try and understand why they are holding on to strong rituals and traditions, mm. right? Yeah, I think, and that's a, definitely. But I guess the other side of it is obviously at the same time, um, you want to change some of them. <laughs> like it's True, in, yes. Yeah, like Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And it's like to go back to the book now, um, which, yeah, it's a long series. You, actually, just quickly, so did you pick this book because this is your favorite of all of them? Or is it like just the most relevant? Um, or just It's just the one, one I found on the shelf <laughs> fastest. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I am a, I really love, this is something I love, um, autobiographies. I love hearing about real stories, real women's stories. And so I've read all her books and this book specifically, it, it just really covers the story of the princess, mm -hmm. but it really covers things that I've experienced. And I guess I've seen it. I've seen how life is like. And when I grew up in Kuwait, how women are treated. And I, I guess it has a, a lot of uh, relevance to me, to my memories. I can unpack that if you want, but... Yeah, if you want. I mean, um, well, look, there's 
Kuwait before the war and Kuwait after the war. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I grew up and I was born. You were there for the, during... I was, was there... Was 91? Uh, 89 and 90. Okay, right. So um, I was there before and out, and we were on holiday right when the war hit, uh, the Gulf War, when uh, Iraq invaded Kuwait. Mm. But we came back right away when, when uh, Kuwait was freed um, and Kuwait owed... Uh, the U.S. <laughs> for for their help. <laughs> Let's not get into and politics. That's, <laughs> that's a totally different thing. <laughs> you gotta, I feel like this. That's the thing. I always feel like all this stuff is so deeply intertwined. It's it is impossible to. Um, so you were there, like as in when, like as in, did you see anything? Like, I uh, well, I saw. I mean, I had all my friends who were there. It happened in July, August. That's the time when people escape Kuwait because it's really hot, right? Yeah. Um, I had friends who were still there. Um, but we came back right after, and of course, I saw all the bullets. Um, the bulldozers were still there. I saw our home was massacred because you had to come back to take your stuff, and we continued to stay there. My parents are both doctors, so they had to come back as well to support uh, the hospital that they work for and things like that. So, yeah, um, there is a difference. Kuwaitis were broken, after the war. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the prisoners that were taken into Iraq were never released and they were released years later. And so people really um, felt the pain that their fathers, brothers were taken away from them. And so they became harder. Mm-hmm. Not to say that all, they're still like that, but I mean, I, I, I feel there's a change. There's, there's the, the country is broken, as in emotionally they're broken. When that happened. So whether that impact, and I can't make that correlation either. It's just how I can explain my lived experience. They're rougher and they became rougher and tougher on expats, expatriates that, you know, uh, that moved there and um, essentially, you know, they've, the men, it became more accentuated how they treated or mistreated women. I don't know if it always existed. I was young back then. Right. But as I became 14, 15, you know, you, you grow up and you walk and um, you feel like you could be free and you get harassed all the time. Yeah. It's just how it is. And was that, and you're saying that was by the locals or by like locals. everyone? No, locals. no, locals, locals. All right, right. So not the expat community no. there. So, and that's, this is why the politics I feel like it's always important yeah. because like the, and this is my issue with, I think a lot of people who try to simplify it down to like, oh, this like religion's usually the excuse, but like a lot of these countries seem to have been hit really hard. And then as a result have almost gone back into their shells and latched onto these, you almost say conservative yeah. ideas. It's, it's like, how much fault is there? Who's it's more complicated than it's saying. It's way too complicated, but it means <laughs> that, you know, it, hopefully the, the, the countries themselves are trying to make a change, right? They're trying to educate uh, and give more rights to women. It starts by giving rights, more rights to women. Mm. Now, lucky in, in Kuwait, women drive. Yeah, which is not something you should have to be like lucky. It should. <laughs> I'm lucky. I can yeah. drive. Yay. <laughs> but again, like Saudi Arabia, only recently women started to be able to drive. And that's what? You know, it's ridiculous that we're still fighting for these things, right? Whether it's in Kuwait, Qatar, Bahrain, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm not trying to paint a negative picture. Well, actually, that's that's actually, maybe we should 
stop for a second and be like, because I feel like a lot of people might jump on that conclusion yeah. from hearing this yeah. and they'd be like, oh, see, it's like, it's backwards everywhere there. But yeah. it's like, firstly, it, there is a difference between different countries in the Gulf, right? Yeah. Like as in Oman versus... Oman oh, is... Uh, a lot freer, mm. um, I would say, and a lot more relaxed. Yeah. And they give a lot this of rights to, to point women. Out firstly, yeah. that there is a broad range within the countries within the Gulf. Yeah. Obviously, and how they all treat their different rights. But even people who, <laughs> you can still be for a country, even if it's doing something bad, as long as you're like, you can acknowledge it. So I think that's an okay yeah. thing. And that's, that's, and then people get confused because it's a classic simplicity of everyone as soon as they hear big issues, they're like, oh, you're totally against it or you're totally yeah. for it. And you've probably had that experience yourself personally yeah. coming from those states where people are like, oh, so you must hate everything about it or, oh, you, you, you're you a self-hating whatever or no. the opposite. It's like, yeah. oh, you love it and you're defending it. It's like, it contains There's that complexity. There's good and bad in every country. Let's not, you know, yeah, we live in a in a beautiful you know country in Australia. Australia is that and we have rights and all these things, but people ha love things and they hate things. It's mm. just natural. Mm. I grew up and I'm very grateful for my life that I had in Kuwait. Mm. You know, I loved the school, my education I had, um, the work experience that I got. I can't, you know, I am who I am because of these experiences. I wouldn't change it for the world, right? Um, yeah, we... There, there should be changes that, that happen. We should, you know, go for more rights for women, uh, equality, um, you know, when it comes to law, uh, crim the criminal justice system, all these things need to be looked at. I am a human being that have had that experience, and I can say hand on heart that there's space. Women are so smart in the Middle East. They are. Yeah. No, because they, they, now everyone can, has to have an education, mm. right? They may not leave the country. They may leave it and have a, you know, an, another education, like coming to RMIT or going to another university, living here, and then going back and giving back. Mm. That's important, you know? But let's give women that chance. Yeah. No, like, and I 100% agree, like, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I disagree with this, actually, Marianne. Uh, How dare you, George? You really, hit, you really hit a nerve there. Um, no, and I think, like, and this is part of, like, what I find so interesting because, like you said, it, it's the religious and the mm. cultural side is so intertwined in a lot of ways. It's almost hard. Yeah. And, then, and because of this focus on maybe, for whatever reason, I mean, although every society has had it at some point, treating women as second-class citizens yeah. is not unique to anyone. Um, and some countries have had it and then lost it and then got it again. So yeah. it's not even surprising there. But I guess that's what makes it hard because like, yeah, when it's so deeply embedded, it's like, how do you intertwine? You're like, we want to keep the culture. We love everything else about it, but this part here is bad. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it really hard. It starts from the top. And it also starts from the bottom. Uh, it's it's funny I, I'm saying that, but really, <laughs> it's so broad, <laughs> so broad, so everything. <laughs> no, look, um, it starts by people going out into the streets fighting for these rights. Okay, uh, we've seen it with things like the Arab Spring from Egypt, for example. Um, people actually making a change and able to bring down a president who's been president for like what twenty years. Hosni Mubarak. Um, and then it starts from the top too. I mean, let's, let's try and make those, let's try and change our legal system. Let's try and change, uh, the education system. I mean, in Egypt, for example, there are still books, 
um, the curriculum, the Egyptian curriculum, schooling, primary school, still looks at very, you know, uh, basic things about men, women. We don't educate at all. Uh, we don't have sex education in Egypt mm. and in all of the Middle East, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and And those are things, I'm not saying we should do them, but I'm saying let's make it clear to those men that have that are deviant in many ways or believe they are dominant because that is that's what happens when you segregate men and women in many ways uh, you don't allow girls to see boys boys to see girls um you don't give them that space for freedom um you don't and men don't see their moms working and again of course being a a mother is the best job ever i'm a mom yeah <laughs> but um just allowing women to have some rights or all the rights that they should have equal to the men will be a better place. I know it sounds like it's a ridiculous <laughs> yeah, thing, yeah. but it really will be because it just trickles down and, and you see men doing deviant things hmm. and, and it, it can be very harmful to young girls, to um, women in the workplace at home on the streets. Hmm. I, I talk from experience because I've seen it with my own eyes uh, whether in Egypt or uh, anywhere, any country, Arab country in the Middle East. Yeah. You well, know? Well, they all, to different, different degrees, right? Because, I mean, I've, I've actually been to Lebanon. That place is chill ass. <laughs> yeah, I've been to Lebanon. <laughs> <laughs> or at least it was. It is. No, no, like no. It's, it still is. It still is. Yeah, it's so, I, I don't know, it progresses the right word. It's Franco-Arab. Yeah, They yeah. call it Franco-Arab because French, it's yeah. more Parisian-French kind of thing. Uh, the, the Paris um, of the East, right? Yeah. <laughs> Look, Egypt... Years ago, when my parents grew up in Egypt, it was open. You can wear mini skirts, and I, I, I see pictures of my parents, you know, enjoying going out together. Uh, you know, nobody's veiled. Obviously, this is something with extremist fundamentalists. Let's not go into religion because it's not, I don't believe that that's a religious movement. Um, well, that's actually, so, so you're saying that that's kind of what I was, uh, wondering yeah. because I've, I've heard that as well. And like, I've actually seen footage of like, I think this is black and white footage of one of the Egyptian prime ministers from like 50 years yeah. ago, 60 years ago, where he's in the cabinet and he's laughing with everyone at the mm. idea of demanding that women wear veils. Like they're actually yeah. sharing a laugh because of how progressive they were. Yeah. And then they've gone in the other direction. So yeah. it's like, obviously that's not a religious thing because they were the same religion back then. Yeah. And it's like. So that's where I'm like, yeah, obviously that's a impact of outside forces putting them in a position, maybe similar to how you said in Kuwait, where it's like, just look, there's a break in a, in the country it, that happens in, in most country, you know, those countries when something happens like this poverty, uh, it rises, um, people are desperate. Uh, they want to gain power. It, it's all these small little things, cracks in society that, you know, encourage such movements. Mm. Um, how, I mean, the, I'm not a historian myself, but fundamental, uh, the fundamentalists in Egypt, for example, how did they start? It started by people really, everyone's poor. They want control. They're not happy with the president and what he's doing. They're not happy with the, the agreement with Israel. Let's start our own movement mm. Um, and, and it takes off from there, you know, and it just, you gain power, they gained power and it still exists and it's become indoctrined 
It's not religious because if we look at religion, it's not like that. And that, that, that's what I mean. There that's are moderate I'm, Muslims, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, and that's why I'm saying I think a lot yeah. of people have that view without appreciating the full historical context that results yeah. in a lot of these places and how they actually are. Yeah. Um, to go back to the book. Yeah. Now, <laughs> <laughs> before we finish off wildly. So, um, so, okay. Yeah, no, I'm just trying to now think of what I can yeah. <laughs> We've done a lot there. Um it almost feels so small to go. <laughs> I know we've talked about really, but you know what? The book really encompasses a lot of these things. You know, the book touches on how the boy boys, the brothers have more rights than women. It touches on, um, sexual harassment. It touches on, um, incest. It touches on all these things that to be honest, it just, it doesn't just exist in Royal families, but it exists in every, I wouldn't say every family. There are families who are obviously much more educated uh, in the Middle East, in the Gulf region. But it, it does exist. And we need to be aware of that. And it hasn't gone away, hmm. you know? You know, that, no, that definitely. And, that sounds, and obviously, <laughs> I'm not going to make light of all that right now. Yeah. But it's funny because that actually does make it sound like quite a steamy book. <laughs> like quite, quite like as in... It goes read. into detail. Like, yeah, but like it's in a good read. It's a like page actually, turner. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, I mean. One of the reviewers <laughs> said it's a page turner. Yes, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like horrific situation. Yeah. It sounds like a. But that's why it's a good, a book good read. to read. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's almost, it's both trashy and yeah. informative almost. Like that's what it yeah. kind of sounds like. But just FYI, this book was written and it's about a story uh, from 1994. So it's really dated, of mm. course, but it does, it hasn't gone away. That's the problem. You know, yeah. we're talking about something that happened during King Fahed, uh, his, his kingdom, but it still exists and it exists in, in multiple different pockets, not just in Saudi Arabia, it exists in a lot of Arab, uh, countries. It's changing. Mm. We do see little bits happening. Like for example, in Egypt, they, there are organizations against the mutilation of young girls. Mm. There are organizations um, helping and, and supporting women who are raped or um, assaulted. That never existed. When a woman, when something like this happens to a woman in Egypt, for example, I, I mention Egypt because I am from Egypt, it, it's, it's a shame. It, it, women become very ashamed of themselves. Why are you, you did nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I know it sounds, well, of course you did nothing. But not back there. I would say I would I would argue that that's actually possibly still coming through here a bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, is in even in Western yeah. countries they're still dealing with this stigma. You could almost say it's the last fifteen years, yeah. maybe, where it's become a bit more. You don't be embarrassed about it. Don't be ashamed. And even then, it's still not done. I feel like so. It needs a lot of help, psychological help, um, and support, and even going to a psychiatrist or a psychologist in Egypt is shameful. <laughs> It's, it's yeah. changing, it's changing, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you would never admit to anybody that you're seeing a, a psychologist. <laughs> to go back to the branding thing for a second, this yeah. might actually help because of how much like, obviously the culture now, uh, the, the rich are like, yeah, we all go on a therapist and stuff. So it's like, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, we got we to gotta be like these guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that that is now, uh, you, there's 10% uh, in Egypt that are the very rich and famous and yeah, th you would see them going and I'm cool. I take drugs and I do this and I do that, but that's not 
the common, if we look at the majority, the other 90% of a huge population, they're suffering. Yeah. 100%. You know? And that's like across, yeah, again, I think I, people have a tendency to group all the countries, but they're obviously all very different and doing their own things. They're not the same, they're not all the same religion either. No. Yeah, so. I'm Christian. Yeah. By the way, you wouldn't have realized that, but I'm Christian and I am a minority in I Egypt. Have, I know. I should have asked that earlier. <laughs> Imagine, like, what you religion are you? <laughs> I can say it. You can't ask yeah. it. All <laughs> oh, right. So you, you brought up like your parents are Christian as well. Yeah. We're Coptic Orthodox Christian. Okay. Yeah. I'm Orthodox as well. I'm I know. Same. When you said Greek, I'm like, yeah, he's Orthodox. <laughs> <laughs> we relate. We're the same. Yeah. We both have our delayed Easter. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. Okay, right. So that's. Do you still do any of that religious stuff? Of course. I. It's. You see, with that, I say this is a tradition as much as it's a religion. Um, I. I would relate more to being Coptic than um, being Egyptian, for mm. instance. I feel because it's something that I do all the time. I go to church every Sunday. I. You know, I my do. kids go to Sunday school. Um, again, not extremist. We're actually really moderate. Christians, but we, we fast when it's Lent. We, it's, it's, I do the fasting. Yeah, it's, 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 in, it's embedded in our culture, in my culture. Yeah. yeah. It's actually um, uh, it's something I've thought about a lot, which is a, it's almost a shame um, because it's so embedded, like in the religion mm. and the cultural, uh, from everywhere, like in the Greek, same thing. Um, managing out the way so that people can still have it without feeling like they're being religious you know that, that yeah. whole idea like that's yeah. just, like i don't know how to balance that well. i was just talking about that with a co-author of mine because we we're trying to do some research on that and um it it is now uh embarrassing well not it's not embarrassing but you're immediately you're not secular you're not open you're not um you know thinking about who you are you're not you know all these things you're more you're too religious you're too extremist I, when I tell people that I'm fasting, sorry, I can't eat that. I'm vegan because I'm fasting for Lent. Oh, you know, I'm given the looks in, in many ways, you know, but it doesn't mean I'm extremist. It just means this is part of who I am. I don't want to change that. I'm happy with that. No, I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. Like I actually, cause I think it's good. Like I think fasting is healthy. Like to do that now and then. I do too, you yeah. know, and I do it again to feel closer to my my roots doesn't have to, the roots doesn't have you know they don't have to be related to being egyptian or to religious it's just my culture my my community i want i, I do that because i want to you know i I'm, i belong there mm. and it, it's my comfort zone it's my parents it's it, it reminds me of all the good memories and Easter Sunday and, and, you know, Christmas days, you know, when we're gathered with family, it, it's, it's connected to all these things. It's not just, I do this because I'm a robot and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, um, that's how I am. You know, it's yeah, not yeah. that. I, I mean, that, exactly. And like, I think yeah. that's uh, where that's the difficulty in, well, everything we're talking about right now. I say, if you're, if you're questioning something, if you're questioning a religion, read about it. And then make your, and, and go experience it. They always say, when you travel to, say, a, a country like Egypt, do you, are you traveling as a tourist or do you want to really experience what it's like? And I, I say the best way to really understand the culture is by living there. It's not just by 
um, you know, knowing the religion, going to the tourist places, going to see the pyramids. It's not. It's really living there, talking, speaking the language, talking to the normal people, even just going to the, you know, going to the suburb, suburbs rather than the city tourist areas, going to um, different places that are pockets that are unknown, just finding those out and, and meeting people. That's why I love, for example, Airbnb. <laughs> That's why my, my other research was about Airbnb and the sharing economy. Mm -hmm. And it, it's all about these experiences. Now, I'm not saying that um, Airbnb is genuine when they say belong anywhere, but it's, it's actually helpful. Um, in many ways, to really understand the culture. Yeah, because at least you like going somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point, actually. That's a, like another plus side to it, the fact that, yeah, you're getting deep yeah. into the proper kind of place. Yeah. yeah. Okay, a nice thing about Airbnb. Look, I, um, there are obviously negative things, um, and I try to be objective just simply because, yeah, Airbnb really helped a lot of, um, you know, cities encouraged tourists i'm talking pre-covid of course yeah. but encouraged a lot of uh people traveling to cities and experiencing and and providing small businesses opportunities and of course on the other side it's actually um impacted the you know hotels and real estate and all these then property and people finding homes to rent because now everyone's actually using uh rental for airbnb mm. Um, pros and cons to every business. It's a classic thing. Everyone's like, it's oh, it's, classic it's thing, not one you know? or the other. Yeah, it's yeah. like Uber's great, but obviously the mistreatment of workers and the not paying everyone well is bad. So it's like, exactly, it's the balancing act. It's like we're not saying it's bad, but it's like, yeah, just because it's good doesn't mean you just let it off with everything else. As exactly, well. like, you, exactly. That's not how anything. It's works. I mean, these things are democratizing work. They're yeah. allowing. People to, they're encouraging the gig economy. They're allowing people to work anytime, anywhere, any place, right? Mm. Um, I, if I'm working on TaskRabbit, I can be working from home, creating designs, helping my income. But on the other hand, it's impacting the actual people who are designers or, um, you know, doing all these things professionally. Mm. Catch 22. Yeah. And uh, did, you, did you, have you looked into that, done some study on that? Uh, what the gig economy, that's yeah, what, the gig economy, I yeah. mean, that is my, my, my PhD was on Airbnb and the sharing economy, but I was looking at it from a sense of, um, how do we encourage more sharing than pseudo sharing, which is the, f the fakeness of it all. Um, using okay. it, they, it's share washing, they call it. Um, and basically using the term share, I'm a, I'm a business. I I'm in the sharing economy. You're just taking the pros of sharing and the real meanings of what sharing is all about, uh, giving community, um, trust, reciprocity, all these lovely romanticized words and just using it for a business's advantage. How do you, how do you mean by that? What's an example you can give? Um, I would say, well, I, it could be Airbnb. But it could also be companies that just label themselves like when you rent bikes, bicycles, mm -hmm. for example, or uh, scooters or all these businesses, Lime, I think it was yeah. in uh, New Zealand and I think it's here too. Um, they say they're part of the sharing economy, but how are you actually sharing? You're, <laughs> you're not right. really sharing okay. with someone who owns the bike. Like you're not, um, there yeah, is yeah, yeah. money involved, yes. Um, you're not having an experience. If we, if we, if we look at the basics of what sharing is all about, 
it should be uh, you're 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 collaborating on something with someone mm. and having a great experience while you're doing it that's not <laughs> sharing yeah yeah it's a business called lime they're they're falling under the sharing it's economy renting, yeah. or yeah it's it's really rental access based yeah. rather than sharing right yeah, it's, it's not like collaborative we're both using the train it's a sharing economy exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah okay right that's interesting yeah, yeah. i guess that the idea is nice even if yeah it always ends up getting corporatized and everything that does happen unfortunately when something becomes really well liked and it becomes a trend and people you know they're more um, attracted to that and so businesses just jump on the bandwagon really and and take on the perks of of that term without doing the actual work so that's why it's called pseudo sharing okay right yeah all right pseudo sharing. nice um cool well we've jumped around so much yes <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we did mention the book a few times. So yeah. I feel like we did quite a bit, actually, in a broader sense. We did. Look, and everything we talked about is the book. Exactly, yeah. And, and on top of that, I feel a good pitch as well. It's a steamy, page-turning. I, I love I using the word steamy. I would call it steamy. <laughs> <if> we, <laughs> yeah. I, I saw your reaction the first time. I'm like, I'm going to keep saying Fifty Shades of Grey is steamy. This is not steamy. It's a, look, it, it's a page-turner. It's words, a page-turner. When did you first read it? Like the first one? I read, I think when... Um, in 99, I would say. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so you're a bit older, like you were able to take it in. Is, is it really popular in the Middle East? It was back then. Actually, um, if you Google um, Jean Sasson, she's gone on so many talk shows, Oprah, um, you know, Fox News. She's mm. talked about the book quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and she's gone on interviews with other princesses that escaped and um, to talk about, you know, what, wow. the, what does that mean? So she's quite involved. It's obviously, it's been years. Um, Since, I, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like everything comes in and out of yeah. public awareness. This stuff. And I'm sure there are many books that came out after that, just talking about these life experiences, you know. Maybe it comes <laughs> back to being a researcher and really, my research is all about the lived experience of people. And I think... It, that could be a link. I, I didn't know I was going to be a researcher back then when I was reading these books, but I've always been intrigued by reality and, and our lives and what goes on behind closed doors and, and things like that. Um, oh. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Well, that, that's biographies like that would slot perfectly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, cool. I mean, I guess that's it. Uh, cool. Thank you so much for being on. <laughs> Um, Thanks for having me. That's right. You were, we jumped a lot of topics. I'm it was really sorry, fun. but uh, that was great. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much. Thank you, George. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sans Pants Radio, then why not subscribe to SansPantsPlus.com? For as little as five dollars a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's sanspantsplus.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.